This is our third session on 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 to 13. And this is Paul's benediction or prayer addressed directly to the Thessalonians, although asking God to do things. He asks them to direct his way to them, and then he asks two things for them. May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So that's what he asks for himself. God, would you please overcome every satanic barrier that has hindered us from getting back to visit the Thessalonians? Would you overcome that and get us there? And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. And now here comes the surprising connection. It's amazing how little the commentators deal with the inner dynamics of how this works. So I want to try to wrestle with it. May he cause you to increase and abound in love so that, so loving leads to this, love so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Now we'll deal more next time with before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. But here's the connection that is so striking. Love, increasing and abounding, establishes the human heart in holiness. Have you ever thought through the relationship between love for people? This is not talking about love for God. This is love for people, one another and all establishes, that's the, the goal or the purpose or the result of loving like this, at God's enabling, establishes your hearts in holiness. So, Father, show us the meaning of holiness. Show us the relationship between love and holiness so that we might be fit, ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What is holiness? It's rooted in God, Isaiah 6, and one cherubim and seraphim, remember, around the throne of God, one called to another's and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Three times, holy, holy, holy. Why didn't it say the whole earth is full of his holiness? I suspect it's because in biblical language, the glory of God is the radiance of the more inner essential holiness. Holiness is God's uniqueness in his transcendent purity. And when it goes public in behavior among people, it shines forth as glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, the radiance of his 
holiness. The word holy, you may have heard somewhere along the way, means uh, separate, set apart. And that is the basic idea. God is set apart from all that is ordinary or common. And in his case, that means he's in a class by himself. Consider for Samuel 2, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. The emphasis on holy being his absolute uniqueness. He's one of a kind. So you could say he is so separate, so distinct, so set apart that he's not in any other class. And that's because he's the originator of all things. The originator of all things as creator is distinct from all things and is therefore in that raw sense of separateness, totally other and therefore totally unique and thus holy in that sense. But the Bible treats holiness as a moral thing, not just a ceremonial distinctness from other common things. Here's uh, Numbers 20, 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I am giving them, that I have given them. You didn't trust me. But what was the real problem with not trusting him or believing in him? The real problem was it made God look common. It made him look ordinary. It made him look like his, as if he were not infinitely, infinitely valuable. When you're in a class by yourself and the originator of all things, you have infinite value. And he made God look worthless by not trusting him. So we should step back and say, okay, what is holiness in God in such a way that we can understand what holiness is for us? Because Paul here is saying, if you increase and abound in love for one another, you will be established in holiness. You will be holy. What does that mean? So let me suggest this. This is huge, and I don't expect you to buy into this without extensive reflection and prayer and thought and study, but let me get you started at least if you haven't thought along these lines before. So God is one of a kind, in that sense, absolutely unique and set apart and thus holy like the rarest diamond is the most valuable, and he's the infinitely rare, one of a kind, God, being the rarest being and the source of all being, has infinite worth like a diamond. The rarer the diamond, the greater the worth. The rarer the being who originates all being, the more worth that being has. This worth is the standard of all goodness and beauty. Have you ever paused to say, how can God be called good when there's no standard outside God for him to measure goodness by? 
We, we're good or not because we conform to the standard of goodness that is in God. What does God conform to? And the answer is he conforms to his infinite worth. That's what I mean by saying that infinite worth, that holiness, that uniqueness is the standard of all goodness and all beauty for God himself. So the moral dimension of God's holiness, not just the raw dimension of his being separate, but the moral, good and bad, the dimension of God's holiness is that every affection, every thought, every act of God is in perfect harmony with the infinite worth of his transcendent fullness. Now, that may be a mouthful, but it's really basically very simple. God is his own standard because he is of infinite value. Therefore, whenever he feels anything, it is holy if it conforms to his worth. If he thinks something, it's a holy thought if it conforms and is in harmony with his worth. If he does something, it's a holy act if it conforms to his infinite worth. That's what I'm arguing, since there's no standard above God or outside God for the measurement of his goodness and his beauty other than himself, infinite in value. Now, we are to be holy as God is holy. First Peter 1.16, be holy, for I am holy. So how do humans participate in this kind of holiness? Thus, our holiness is the harmony that exists between our affections, our thoughts, our actions, and the, the infinite, sorry about that, it's supposed to be one word, the infinite worth of God. That harmony between our affections and thoughts and actions on the one hand, and God's infinite value on the other hand, is the beauty of holiness. Your life is beautiful in holiness to the degree that your thoughts reflect God's infinite worth to you. Your actions and affections reflect God's infinite worth to you. Therefore, here's my conclusion. What Paul is saying here then is that love is the life, the pattern of life that displays a person's valuing God above everything. And think about it. That works, doesn't it? Because what hinders people from loving, what hinders people from loving is that they're, they're afraid something's going to hurt them, or they're greedy. They, they don't want to give up some pleasure. But if God is everything to you, if God is infinitely valuable to you, if the infinite worth of God is your supreme treasure, you are set free from all the hindrances to love, and you are so enamored by, so affectionate of, so admiring of God's way of life, namely love in Christ, that you will love. Therefore, Paul attaches love as the lifestyle that will establish us in holiness. It is an amazing conception of holiness and love, and we should never, never let the two be separated. Now, lots more to say about 
the blamelessness of this and how it is present established before our God at the coming of the Lord Jesus.